0: Can you put your hands together, welcome evangelist Tim Green from Atlanta, Georgia.
1: Praise the Lord, everybody. What a privilege to be in the house of God on this last day of 2023. Is that correct? The last day of 2023. We just started, didn't we? And now it's almost 2024 very excited to be here to spend this time with you and I have great expectations of what God wants to do in the spirit in the next year but also a great great move of God before this year is ended. So what a great time to be in the house of God. I want to give high honor to uh, men I respect so much and that's that's Bishop Wilson and Bishop Vasquez and of course, Love and appreciate their brides and all the ministry in the house here today. We honor you. Look with me, if you would, to two portions of scripture, and i'm I have uh, asked the audio me- media to go the second mile today and done last minute things for them, so they're still scrambling to get everything together. But if we could read first from First Corinthians chapter thirteen and verse eight, and then we will look back at the Gospel of John, chapter 11, and read a couple of verses there, beginning at verse 14. So, reading from 1 Corinthians, chapter 13, and verse 8 Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail, whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. I want you to see, and I don't have time to do a teaching study on this with you, but these are three dimensions of the gifts of the Spirit that Paul is talking about. It's it's the gifts of tongues, and it's the gifts of knowledge, and it's the gifts of prophecy. And he says, these things will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. Now, what I want you to see about this is the gifts do not go away, but the gifts are given to us in partiality. A gift of prophecy does not outline everything that we need to do and everything that's going to happen. It's a glimpse. It's a partial understanding of where we're going. It's a part. And you live that part in faith. (coughs) Believing that prophecy... And maybe you get another part and another part, but you still walk in faith. The reason why it's in part is because it's not an operation of faith if you know what's going to happen completely. You hold on to these parts, these prophecies, these words of knowledge, these partial healings, miracles, all the gifts of the Spirit. And then, when the fulfillment of that comes, when that which is perfect is come, you don't hold on to the prophecy because you've got the fulfillment of it. So it vanishes away. It's no longer as important for your faith, and you drive in that. That makes sense. We know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, understood as a child, I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. And if you can see the picture that Paul is painting for us, that what the prophecies allow us to do is to like a child to grow in faith and an understanding of what God is going to perfectly fulfill in our life. For now we see through a glass darkly, difficult in the middle of our parts, To completely see everything. But then face to face. Now I know in part. But then shall I know even as also I am known. And this is the culmination of this understanding that Paul just gave us. Now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three but the greatest of these is charity. Very important for us to understand and remember. Then from John chapter 11, I'm going to read two verses here, verse 14 and verse 15. But if you're able, I want you to look at verse 15 first and just see the first word in this verse, which is the word and. Now those of you who remember your grammar studies in school know that you cannot grammatically correct, begin a sentence with the word and. And because and is a conjunction and it joins two thoughts together. So the second thought that we'll see here in verse 15 has to be joined to the first thought in verse 14. So let's start reading verse 14 and grammatically read it correctly. Understanding that the separation of verses did not happen in original writing. That was later for canonization and understanding. Verse 14. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad. That's why they separated the verses there. Lazarus is dead, Jesus is glad. For your sakes, that I was not there, to the intent you may believe, nevertheless, let us go into him. I'm preaching today about unanswered prayers. Unanswered prayers. God bless you. You may be seated. I'm traveling this morning without my wonderful, beautiful, anointed wife, Lois, or luscious as I call her. You're welcome to call her Lois. She is ministering in the Sunday school session at the church in Memphis She will be with us tonight and you'll get a chance to love on her and let her love on you. But we have been traveling now full-time itinerant preachers for 20, this will be our 28th year that we are moving into and we've had some tremendous blessings through the years. One of the greatest things about traveling like we do is the people you meet. And literally, I, I don't know a number specifically, but it's, it's got to be over, it's got to be multiple hundreds of thousands of people that I have met in church services like this through the years. It's the revival atmospheres and miracles and stories that you experience that just give you such strength in this life. And also, it's the places that I get to go. When our family was younger, we had a truck and a trailer and we traveled all over North America, includes Canada and the United States, of course, and, and we saw some tremendous things and we have visited in New York State, the Catskill Mountains and been to the Grand Tetons in Wyoming, pulled that trailer up the Smoky Mountains of North Carolina and Tennessee. We've been to the Cascades in Washington with Mighty Mount Rainier And we have seen the budding magnolia trees in the Ozarks of Arkansas. The Grand Canyon of Arizona was an amazing thing to behold. And now the deafening Niagara Falls of New York. And from the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters, this land was made for you and me. But there's a habit that my wife developed early in our ministry travels that every time that we would see something amazing in nature, like a sunset or a sunrise, and God would take in the dusk of evening a canvas and make the most beautiful hues of red and orange and perhaps purples. and 15 minutes, God would display such mastery of artistry and then wipe it clean with the black canvas of nighttime. And Lois would see these things and sing about it. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Things in nature should put something within us of amazement of how awesome God is. And so, in fact, the word inspiration from the original Greek means to inhale your breath. It means you see something amazing and it's... To inhale It's the same meaning we see in the Scripture when the Scripture tells us all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable to us. So we have absolutely the inhale of inspiration in the Word of God. So we were traveling, I'm getting to my story here, in an area called L.A. How how many of you have been to L.A.? You know I've tricked you. I'm not talking about Los Angeles. I'm talking about the real L.A., That's right, lower Alabama. At least those that are from that area let me know that that's where L.A. is. We were traveling between Fairhope and Foley on this particular time, and as we were traveling with the whole family with us, I think we were driving a Grand Marquis, we saw a sign there on Highway ninety, maybe 98, I think, that simply said, Inspiration Oak, and it had an arrow pointing to the right. It's a brown sign or a green sign, I can't remember, but it connotes something that either the state or the federal government had set up for people to be able to view, so we were running a little bit early and I'm like hey let's go get inspired and hear Luscious Sing and let's find out what this is all about so we did a U-turn went back to this place just a hundred yards or so off the main road was this pasture area and as you look there was this most amazing tree that was there it is a live oak and if you understand what the live oaks are it's, it's like this tree that you're seeing here this is the inspiration tree of Baldwin County in Alabama. And when we saw this tree, we were truly amazed because it stands some 65 feet tall, which that in itself is not too amazing, but the circumference of its girth was 27 feet. Now, we tried to grab hands, a family, a whole family did. We couldn't reach around the tree. The tree is 197 foot from the tip of one limb to the tip opposite of the other limb. Now, some of you have no clue as I'm running footage out here, but if you could think of two-thirds of a football field, that's 200 feet, and this was three feet shy of that. Tremendously huge tree. Its branches and limbs, of course, are almost parallel to the ground. And Some of the limbs actually dipped down and rested on the ground and then went back up into the air. Uh, my kids wanted to play chase in this tree. So I thought, hey, I'm going to climb the tree, right? And so when I began to help my boys up and I wanted to climb the tree, I had greater respect for Zacchaeus than I ever had before. How did that wee little man get in that tree, right? Right? So I decided I'd stay out of the tree, I'd help the guys. And they're up there running the limbs, and Lois is over, she's the spiritual one in the family, right? So she's over here singing about how great God is and what an amazing tree this is. And I'm thinking about what 400 years of life this tree had lived, they tell us, and what what stories might it have told, what battles might have been fought, what... What traveling individuals might have slept in the boughs of the limbs for safety, what, what lovers might have carved hearts and signatures of their name, And what, what could this tree tell us the story of? And we were truly amazed. And it was some months later that we had opportunity to go back that way, and we decided we was going to leave a little early so we could go and be inspired, and we're traveling, but this time we missed the road. And we thought, surely that's the road, where's the sign? And we figured out where the road was, the sign was gone, we came back. But that pasture area was now fenced off, gated. And when we looked through the gates, there was no longer leafy boughs, the tree was dead. gate was locked so that individuals could not get in to this place and become harmed from crumbling limbs. This was intriguing to me that a tree that had lived maybe 400 years now in the short time that I was aware of it was dead. I did some research on Google and found some interesting things. The parcel of land that this tree belonged on belonged to one family for several generations. And within the family there was this feud, this fight. This argument because half of the family wanted to give this parcel of land to the government so that people all over the world could come and be inspired, noble. The other side of the family said, no, we don't want traffic. We don't want tourism here. We just want to live our life peacefully. Let's just keep it for ourselves and those that are knowing the family and know about this tree. And they fought. Until one side of the family came into power and said, we don't care what the other side of the family wants. We are giving this tree to the government. And it became a monument and people came from all over the world to be inspired by this incredible tree. But the other side of the family got up late at night because it did not work out like they thought it should. And in their best reasoning, the way they think things should go, it did not. So they fired up their chainsaw at midnight and cut a gash all the way around the outside bark of that tree. Those of you who know the life-flowing sap is just under the bark. And it cut off, off the flow of sap and the tree died. By the time they found out what was going on, the state brought in horticulturalists and agriculturalists from all over the world, and there was no saving the tree, and inspiration died. Now, I'm, I'm not even a big tree hugger, but even I think that is a crying shame because not only did they destroy inspiration for people perhaps all over the world, they destroyed their own inspiration. That's a shame. But we do the same thing in the spiritual because there's one road that brings our miracle, Brother Carson, to us. That's a road called faith. But when the miracle doesn't happen in the time period that we think it should or in the way that we have reason and logic that it should... We take a barricade to our faith and don't allow our miracle to get to us because it didn't happen in the way that we thought. But we do not know it all. We know in part. I, anybody here ever put a fleece before the Lord? You know what that means? I think most of you do. If not, you can ask someone after service. Does God answer your fleeces? I'm getting a mixed reaction here. Some are like, oh, yeah. Some are like, mm. God doesn't answer my fleeces. <laughs> and I'm not really sure. Maybe I do improper fleeces or, or maybe, uh, maybe God's like, you know, you got to walk a deeper level of faith and not know things, right? So whatever it is, God doesn't answer my fleeces. But I, I can remember a time that this is what I prayed to the Lord. This was my improper fleece. I said, Lord, I'm desperate for an answer in my ministry. Do I need to go to the right hand or do I need to go to the left hand? And so I put this fleece before the Lord when I said, if you want me to go to the left hand, have this respected man in my life call me before 12 o'clock tomorrow. And then I said, but if you want me to go to the right hand, don't have him call me. Yeah, I've got God's arm twisted behind his back. Because by 12 o'clock tomorrow, I'm going to get my answer, left hand or right hand. He calls or he doesn't call. So I decided that next day that I was just going to be real spiritual and fast all day, you know, till 12. And so I'm fasting and I'm meditating and I'm praying and and, uh, the phone doesn't ring and I'm waiting. And finally it's 12 o'clock and the phone hasn't rung and I'm thinking, you know what? I'm going to give God one more hour in case he's on a different time zone than I am. Why do we do these crazy things? I waited till 1 o'clock, and then I'm like, hey, there's my answer. Thank you, Lord, for an answer. I went out my front door to begin to do what I told the Lord was going to happen in my fleece. And what I didn't know is that there had been a windstorm in the night that had dropped a limb on my phone line. It was literally laying on the ground. You see, the guy might have tried to call me. I have no idea. My phone wasn't working. And that's the same thing I heard from heaven. It's like God was laughing at me, saying, Oh, you, you think that you're going to twist my arm and force me to do so? I've got this in control, Tim Green. Just let me lead and guide you. We sometimes want to make God our, our jack-in-the-box. I'm, I'm not talking about that restaurant where you get ten deep-fried tacos for a dollar. I'm, talk, I'm talking about that toy we used to play with. Anybody remember that toy? All around the mulberry bush, the monkey chased the weasel. That's the way the money goes. Pop! And out jumps Jack, spring-loaded, to perform for us. I learned to manipulate Jack as a boy because I knew if I cranked him about six times at the very top of that crank, he was ready to perform. So I put him behind the door of my sister's room. And when she walked in unexpectedly and the door brushed jack, he jumped out and performed for me. (laughs) I'm, I'm sure mama performed on me, so, you know, I didn't get away with a lot of things growing up. Sometimes we think that God is just what we can crank up and manipulate. That if we can get at such a fervor pitch of emotional faith, then that's the place where God will have to answer us. To manipulate. Sometimes we think that we can manipulate God by his own word. God, your word says one plus one is bam. So I've done one and I've done the other one. So now you've got to do the answer for two. And we think that we can manipulate God the truth of what all of us know and need to be reminded of every once in a while is that God's ways are so far beyond our ways. Our ways are so finite and so limited and his knowledge is so infinite and unlimited and we're operating off such small logic and understanding even the most intelligent and spiritual of us. When we put God in a lamp And make him our magic genie. Then we limit him down to a small place of servitude for our miracles and healings and prayers to be answered. It's just when we need him, we're going to rub that spiritual lamp and let him jump out and perform miracles for us. Nothing in the kingdom of God is formula driven. Even the promises and the prophecies that we read in the Word of God is not formula-driven. They're all relationship-driven. Now, we talk about salvation as being a salvific formula. That's an incorrect principle. There's not a formula for salvation. You don't repent of your sins, get baptized in Jesus' name, receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, evidence of speaking in tongues, and now live a separated life into God, and that's your formula of salvation. There's no formula for salvation. It's a relationship. You move into a relationship of faith and belief in a holy God that created us and made us and you humble yourself in relationship to him as the savior of your life to repent of your sins. You have faith that if you cry out to him, he'll forgive you of your sins. Now you commit yourself in baptism calling on his name and he washes away your sins and then in your pursuit of him, he fills you with the Holy Ghost evidence by speaking in other tongues. It's all relationship-driven. And by the same thing, every gift of the Spirit, every healing, every miracle, every prophecy and promise we have is relationship-driven. This is why sometimes unanswered prayers hurt our faith because we expect that we have God backed into a corner where he has to answer us. And we have reasoned and logic out every way that he possibly can answer us. And then it doesn't happen. I read a thick book, Autobiography of the former President of the United States, Richard Nixon. And he confessed that in his early life, they were quite poor, his family was. His mama was a Quaker in religion. And it was said of her that often in her personal prayers... She would speak things that nobody understood. Sounds to me like she was a spirit-led or spirit-filled woman. Oftentimes, she would speak things, what we would call prophetically to individuals, that would come to pass. She was a very spiritual woman. Because of their poor state status, the plan of the family was to send the eldest brother of Richard Nixon to college. And then once he went through college, they tried to pull all their money together to send him to college. He had agreed that he would get a career and use his finances to help the rest of the siblings go to university as well. And so the eldest brother of Richard Nixon went to college. And while he's in college, he got leukemia. And so mama, who knew how to pray, probably was spirit-filled. And Richard Nixon, following her examples, they prayed and they fasted for this son and brother. And he still died in college, wasted two years, lost to the family as well as grief and hurt. And so Richard Nixon made this statement in his autobiography. Because of that, he said, I don't believe there's a God. And then he hedged a little bit and said, okay, maybe there's a higher power, but he doesn't affect men's lives. He hedged a little more and he said, okay, maybe there's a higher power and it does affect men's lives, but I know this, he doesn't care for me because when I needed him the most, I did what I was supposed to do according to his word, and it didn't happen. At least not in the way that you thought it should, President Nixon. This is where we live in unanswered prayer I don't believe anybody in the house is an atheist, even listening and watching online. I don't believe anybody in the sound of my voice right now is an atheist because you are tuning in to a church service. But all of us, all of us have tried to deal with unanswered prayer. And the truth of the matter is when we get unanswered prayer, we want to bring condemnation on ourselves. usually. Maybe Maybe I prayed amiss. Maybe my faith wasn't strong enough. Maybe God is upset or mad at me right now. Maybe this, maybe that, and we've got all kind of reasons because it's difficult for us to understand how we as the people of God, called by His name, can look at direction in the Word of God concerning prayer and have prophecies and do what we're supposed to do, and then God doesn't answer. This is exactly what Martha and Mary are dealing with in John 11. Now, you know the story, but go with me on this. Their brother Lazarus gets sick, and they are close to Jesus. When he goes anywhere close to Bethany where they live, they're going to put him up in their house. They're going to feed him. They're going to host him. Their hospitality is for you, Jesus, here. And so when Lazarus gets sick, Martha and Mary must have said... Don't 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 worry. Told everybody in town, don't worry. We're close to Jesus. And he's a healer. Everything's gonna be fine. And so they decide to send word to Jesus. And it's interesting to me that when they send this word to Jesus, they say this: Lazarus, whom you love. I mean, like how many Lazaruses there are brothers to Martha and Mary, right? Lazarus, oh, the one that you love so much, right? He's sick. Feeling like they have to let him know, we love you, you love us, and this is very important to us or we wouldn't ask you. And so Lazarus is sick. When Jesus gets the word, he ignores it. The disciples must have been confused as they're like, did he offend? Did they offend him last time he was in Bethany? Have they lost their faith there? We know he's still a healer because he's doing healings right here where we're at. The disciples must have been confused. And Jesus doesn't answer and he doesn't give excuses to the disciples. Everybody there gets no answer. And days pass. And finally... The word comes from Bethany, the second word. And I want, I want you to see how hurtful it is spoken in this word because the word is don't bother to come to Bethany. Lazarus is dead. What they're saying is you've so offended and hurt us, don't even show up at the funeral. We don't understand why you weren't here, why you somehow didn't love us anymore, why we somehow the relationship we had, we don't understand, so don't even bother to show up. We don't want to see you right now. When the disciples heard that Lazarus was dead, probably their last reason in their mind was, you know, we're not going to Bethany, Lazarus is sick because Jesus knows he's going to get better. But when they find out he's dead, they were blown away. In fact, Jesus has to finally address them and said, don't be worried. Lazarus is only sick and we're going to go now and wake him up. He's just sleeping. And the disciples said, well, it's good for sick people to sleep. Let's don't go wake him up. They're confused as they can be. They have no understanding of what's going on spiritually. And so Jesus turns to them plainly and says to them, Lazarus is dead. Yippee! Woohoo! I am glad for your sakes. Now, if they were confused before, they're definitely blown away now. The truth of the matter is, we can 2020 reason what Jesus was saying because in just a matter of a couple of verses, he has said he's asleep and he's also said he's dead. Oh, does that mean that Jesus was speaking past, present, future stuff, or does it mean that it's not the death that's to, it's not the sickness to death? So, does it mean we can we can reason all kind of stuff? But the truth of the matter is, this is a little bit beyond us. We don't understand fully why Jesus would even say that. And so now Jesus begins to head back toward Bethany. When he gets all the way to the outskirts of town, Martha hears that he's on the outskirts of town. And one of the gospels says that she went a secret way to find him. She snuck out the back door, and when no one was looking, hid behind that tree. And she knew that path through the high weeds where she could go. She went a secret way because she didn't want to run into anybody in town. Her testimony was broken. She told everybody, Jesus and I are close. Don't worry about Lazarus being sick. All we got to do is get word to him. He's going to come and heal him. And now she doesn't have any excuse and answer for her testimony when she who loved Jesus prayed a prayer and it didn't come to pass. She do not want to see anybody in Walmart and them say, "I I thought you and Jesus were close." I thought you were a Christian. I thought you had power in the Holy Ghost. I thought you were a prayer warrior. I thought you said miracles happened. She didn't want to talk to anybody. So she gives a secret way. And when she gets to where Jesus is on the outside of town, she's like, Lord, your timing stinks. Because if you'd have been here just a few days before, you'd have healed my sick brother. I'd have fixed this big meal. We'd have celebrated. We'd have laughed. We'd have feasted. But you're too late. It's too late for that. Long story short, she goes back to, to, to the house and she tells Mary, Jesus, that's something. you could go a secret way to see. Mary does the same thing slips out the back door and sneaks to where Jesus is. She's the more emotional one, so when she sees him, she must have fell at her feet pulling her hair. Why weren't you here, Lord? Ah!" That's okay, I was just trying to wake up a couple of people. (laughs) You have terrible timing, Lord Jesus. Jesus speaks to her about things that she has no clue and doesn't understand. And then finally, he turns his attention and begins to head toward the graveyard where Lazarus is. But he doesn't go a secret way. He walks right down Main Street. Can you see all the shop owners saying, well, is that Jesus? Why wasn't he here a few days ago? And so they go and turn the sign from open to close, lock the door, and by the time they get out to the graveyard, the entire town is out there because they want to know, did he not love Martha and Mary? Did they not have enough faith? They want to know the excuse because that's the area they're walking in in unanswered prayer. Finally, when everyone's gathered at the graveyard, this is the first verse that I learned to quote it's John eleven thirty five. I was a quizzer, a Bible quizzer in the days of my youth. And the first verse I learned to quote was John eleven thirty five. 35. Jesus went. <laughs> Can you say that, Jesus went? Look at all you Bible quizzers out there. You're on your way. Jesus stands in front of the grave and everybody wants an answer, an excuse, a logical reason. They're thinking, hey, if you really love them and you didn't come, then maybe it was the travel. Maybe Chicago Airport was snowed in and you couldn't get here. Maybe the traffic was backed up in Memphis and you tried. Why weren't you here? Do you love them? And what's the excuse? And Jesus only stands there with tears flowing down his face. No reasoning, no logic, no excuses, just tears flowing down their face. And as they're watching him, the tears are dropping so profusely that they turn to one another and they say, Whoa, do you see that expression of love? He, we don't understand why he wasn't here, but look, he loves Lazarus. Very key. Because when they had enough faith to believe that he loved him, Now Jesus speaks and tells them, open the grave, remove the stone. And Martha "Uh says, (laughs) uh-uh. We're not going there. I'm not opening Pandora's box because that is a stink to my testimony. That's a hurt that has been in my walk with you. That's a problem in my relationship. That's something I was was broken and couldn't get over. I'm not going back to that place. It was too hurtful. And Jesus said, "Remove, open up that place of hurt and confusion where you didn't understand what I was doing because there's greater revelation. And so they opened up the grave and removed the stone. And Jesus speaks power into that darkness of confusion and misunderstanding and death and brokenness and calls Lazarus, Lazarus, Come forth, and Lazarus must have bunny hopped out of that grave. He whose body was already decaying. My mom used to say, you know, the worms crawl in, the worms crawl out, they turn you into sauerkraut. I don't know if that's true, but I always hated sauerkraut, so it could be true. His body was already decaying and a resurrection happened to him as he bunny hops out. Jesus turns to Martha, Mary, the disciples and the town and says, now loose this miracle that you thought was decaying and a brokenness and a hurt to your walk in your life and let him go. Now the disciples are understanding why Jesus is jumping up and clicking his heels that he was not there to heal him. Before they knew Jesus, Jesus as a healer now they know him as the resurrection and the life before their faith came to a place that he could heal now their faith is to a place that he can resurrect Let me tell you what I feel about the year 2023. That it is a dead time of decay and hurt. But there is a resurrection year that is moving for us in this next year. That things we thought could not happen, God is going to resurrect. He's going to take our faith to a greater level. He's going to take our revelation to a greater degree. Oh. The difficult thing about these unanswered prayers is that this is the journey by which God moves us through to give us greater revelation of who He is and a greater operation of faith in what He can do. Twice in our ministry, and I'm closing, twice in our ministry, I've seen the dead resurrected. Both of these were instances and in fact, both of them were in the state of Tennessee. I'm not sure what that says about Tennessee. One in West and one in Central Tennessee. Both of them were church services. Not much unlike this. In an altar service, both of them, one on the pew and one in on the altar, fell out with no breath, no heartbeat. Both of them over six and seven minutes with no beaten heart and no breath coming from them were completely Gone. Both of them, God raised up to life, and resurrection power changed the dimensions of church. And the church in West Tennessee, it went from a church running 130 to one year's time, pushing 300 and two years' time, 320, 340. They moved to a new dimension because of a faith of resurrection. But who wants to volunteer today? To be resurrected. None of us. None of us want to go through hurt. None of us want to go through confusion. None of us want to be confused. And misunderstand our God that we love. And wonder why. None of us want to live that place. In unanswered prayers. But this is the journey. That brings revelation to us. So when God gives you the opportunity to remove the stone from that place where you don't understand why God didn't answer that prayer and why did he allow this child to do this and this loved one to go and this, why did he, why didn't he hear, why didn't he, and all of the wise and wanting reason and logic, well, we have to understand that God is trying to set us up for a greater revelation of who he is in relationship with us. And for a greater dimension of faith to operate in our life. I'm here to say there were some great things that happened in 23. And there was also some tough things that happened for me in 23. But overall, I'm just going to tell you. It's been a time of burial for me. But I've got a promise of a resurrecting God. So, even when I don't feel it and see it, I've got to have confidence he's still moving in my life. Even when I pray it and it looks like to me, in my best understanding, it looks like to me, in my best reasoning, God's not answering. He's still moving. He's still moving. He's still flowing. He's still operating. He still loves me. In fact, this is the key. John eleven 35. I'm closing. Would you stand? This is the key. Because Paul said this, talking about all this partial understanding and partial knowing and having to live in this place where we don't understand it all. Paul said this. He said, there are three things that you can bank on You can count on. That's faith, that's hope, that's charity. Live your life by these three things. That's a foundation that's stable. But then he said, "Well, wait wait just a moment. If you're in a place in your life and because someone that should have been a Christian hurt you or because a church organization did this or said this or because this happened and your faith has been hindered, if somehow the carpet's been jerked out from under your feet and you no longer have hope because you prayed and God seemingly rejected, if your faith and your hope, these things that remain, if that's been injured, he said, if you can get your eyes back on an inspiration tree of Calvary, if you can see the expression of his love for you fresh, it'll spark just enough faith to obey one more time. Pray one more time. Worship one more time. Dance in his presence one more time. Intercede one more time. Reach out and witness one more time. Teach that Bible study one more time. Fast one more time. Just just do what you know to do one more time. And then when he says, okay, faithful child, remove the stone." And even though you don't understand it even though you're hurt and maybe even offended at him you just open that stone and let him speak resurrection resurrection somebody touch this lady on the third row back here let her know I want her to come down here come here my precious sister somebody that loves this woman come join hers he comes there's some running to get here sis. Holy Ghost directed me to look at you in church service today. And I saw your faith. I saw your love for God, your dependency upon him. But I see this thing in you. that you, Does he even know where I'm at? I prayed prayers and it didn't happen like I thought they should. And all the confusion that all of us deal with when we go through these things. And God doesn't do it like in our small mind, like we think it should. But God's been talking to you, my sister. He's got this in control. Woo! I see a resurrection of joy coming to you. I see a river of peace flowing to you. I see your faith moving to a greater level. I see a revelation happening not just for her, but to a entire church that knows her situation. A revelation and an understanding of greater things in God. <laughs> the Carson, would you come? Can I speak to you, man of God? Again, let a couple ministers join him just as I'm speaking to him. Bishop, this is a new season in your life. And the enemy has tried to say, it's the downward. But that's not true. Because this is what I see, mantles and anointings that you have shared in your ministry all your life. There's still fresh mantles for you to share for this group of people and those that you'll come close to in this last season Father all the reasons and how we got here that's what we don't always understand and you don't always make that clear to us but let us have great confidence you love us and you know exactly where we are and the way that things turned out might not have been the way that you did things but he's a God of resurrection and life and I see a very important role that God is moving into you now as an elder and one that shares your mantle and your ministry. If I was a young man, i try to get close to this elder. <laughs> There's revival promises upon Bethlehem Church. There's a harvest. The building is almost ready. We know God has already prophesied. We're going to feel it. We're going to feel it. There's a resurrection of vision. There's a resurrection of faith and trust. If you can just open up to wherever that thing that was unanswered and you hid and you began to hide. If you have prayed prayers... That are unanswered. I want you to join those that are in the altar. Online, I'm asking you if you're watching us now, get on your knees in that living room, get on your knees in that bedroom, begin to talk to God about, I didn't understand, but I somehow put you in a fence, but now I understand. You never left me, you never forsook me, you've always been there. In this altar, I want you to give yourself to see in that expression of his love for you. You need healing in this place. Get your mind back on a whipping post and see him taking stripes for your healing. The image of his love to heal your physical body. If you feel like that, he doesn't even know where I'm at. Get your vision back on that inspiration tree of Calvary and see him hanging there. Desperate to try to just breathe one more time to be an image of the love he has for you. I don't understand, but I know you love me. I don't have all the answers, but I know you love me. Would you reach out and put hands on somebody? There's revelation happening. There's faith that that is operating. Ministry, would you help us all over these altars in this place? By the authority of the Word of God, by the power of the name of Jesus, I lose revelation through this message, and I lose faith by the power of the name of Jesus Christ. Receive it right now with your worship. Receive it with your faith in Jesus.
0: our hands and worship the Lord. There's power here in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. There's great things being born in the spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Brother Green, for the word of the Lord. How many appreciate the word this morning? Amen. 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 Tonight, 5 o'clock, Be Free, It's our our, uh, addiction program that's in the dining room of the educational facility, prayer at 6, church at 6.30. Amen. You're welcome to pray as long as you like. For all of our guests, I'd like to invite you to meet and greet if you walk through the vestibule and out through the prayer room there's a room on the right and we have some snacks and we'd love to spend some time with you also registration for her conference is happening right now in the vestibule and this certifies that Wayland pruitt was baptized in the name of jesus christ where's Wayland? hand clap of praise amen we're preparing to dismiss in just a moment if you volunteered to help with her conference they're meeting right over here to my left there's a lot of stuff to do they're set up they're serving food there's a lot of things that need to be done and if you volunteer for any of that over here to my left and you're dismissed in jesus name